Welcome to The Stack, a weekly podcast where we discuss the latest news, trends, and updates in the world of marketing, sales, and tech, and dive into interesting topics like SEO, content marketing, video, you name it. I'm Sean Henry, your host, and I'm here with Tim Staberski and Ryan Sylvester. We're coming to you from Cheshire, Connecticut. It is Friday, August 24th. This is episode number two of our podcast. Dos. Best podcast. Podcast. Podcast in the world. That's right. That's right. And we're excited to dive in. So how's your week going, guys? Pretty good. Hectic, for sure. Yeah. How how about you? Very hectic. Going Mm. to uh, Ireland next week and been scrambling to just kind of get everything done. Get two weeks worth of work done in five days. So Not too bad. I'm pretty happy it's Friday. My boss has been a real jerk this yeah, week. Yeah, you know, he's just so pushy and he just, you ever look at his face? Scrambling. Oh, always looks so angry. He always looks so angry. Yeah. Anyway. Nice, nice guy though. Nice guy though. Uh, so first topic I want to dive into comes from HubSpot. Um, and it talks about Google continuing to lo- use your location mm. uh, services, even if you've opted out of them. Do you take issue with that, Ryan? I do. And, well, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) here's the thing. Anytime I'm asked if I, you know, do you accept the terms and conditions? I Mm -hmm. always hit accept. Mm -hmm. I've never read, have any of you ever read the Mm -hmm. terms and conditions? I'm starting to more and more. Mostly when I'm signing a contract for a fence. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Versus working in the software. But, uh, yeah. Did you ever get the fence? Yeah, months later. Oh, okay, nice. Um, (laughs) So... It, it kind of dives into this whole privacy issue and like, you know, we, we just stumbled uh, across the whole GDPR thing and, yeah. and you know, it seems, seems like marketing is getting more and more intense in the private area, you know, privacy area. How right. do you, how do you feel like that's going to affect us moving forward? Well, I think it, it, there's, there's a few things there. I think this whole focus on privacy and, you know, as people become more aware of what, Google and Facebook and all the different, um, you know, major tech giants are what they know about us and how Mm. they're leveraging that to uh, allow publishers, advertisers, marketers to target us very precisely. Um, You know, there's a backlash. People are more sensitive to those things and their response is going to be to tighten that a little bit, Mm. to to scale it back. Um, So for us as marketers, um, it probably will make our lives a little bit more challenging as time progresses. Right. Um, but that should be an opportunity. It forces us to be, you know, put more emphasis on our, you know, creativity and value of our content. And mm-hmm. also I think lends itself to the value of, uh, inbound creating content that people will find when they, they need it. True. You know, so true. I don't know. Mixed feelings on it. From a consumer standpoint. Um, I, I personally do not like, um, the various social networks and whatnot gathering my information. It makes me feel a little dirty. So I, <laughs> I fairly recently went in and changed my ad preferences in, in Facebook, for example. And I have to say it's, it's great to not have hyper targeted ads, but now I'm getting some really strange things like Facebook really thinks I need straight uh, teeth straighteners Ooh. and braces, which it's just really interesting assumption on Facebook's part because I, I feel like my teeth are pretty straight. Um, so this is what happens if you go down the path of blocking data. Yeah, that's right. I mean like, so you're going to see a lot more ads that are not actually relevant there, to you, which might be a little more annoying. There's honestly. a major convenience factor uh, to all of us in opting into these things. So do you guys use Netflix? 
No, I actually don't. Yeah, I have Netflix and Hulu. You tweeted about Netflix, right? So oh, yeah, I don't have the, cable, so I, I utilize those. Well, so you know, the reason people like Netflix so much is because it's teeing up shows that are relevant to you. And guess how it knows what's relevant to you, right? You know, you're you're opting in to allow it to collect information about your viewing behavior and preferences. And that improves your viewing experience. Same is true with any kind of targeted advertising. Right. So, you right. know, ads are something we have to live in. So do we want those to be relevant to us or not relevant? And those are my thoughts. It's like what you just said about toothbrushes. Uh, Facebook believes that I need um, braces. Braces. Listening, listen, right. listening in. <laughs> I was half listening. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah my just, boss just, is a jerk. Just oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now that was where on what? What? Site? That was on HubSpot. Okay. Uh, HubSpot blog. Cool. Uh, other quick updates. Google Homes are rumored to be rolling out with screens. Apparently, you'll be able to watch YouTube videos, check your schedule, and that's kind of what they're advertising. <laughs> Should be rolling out for the holiday season. Um, and Tim, you had mentioned, I, I was just going to talk about the Apple computers lowering prices and making, what is it, uh, MacBook Pro version of the Mac mini desktop. Very confusing, but who knows? I mean, it's a little confusing. What, That's cool. What did you say about the... Uh, um, I forget what Microsoft's version of that is, the touchscreen kind of... Oh, the Surface Pro. The Surface Pro. Yeah. They uh, recently announced a pretty significant price drop down to like 400 bucks from like 899 So I'm thinking about buying a new laptop. <laughs> um, so Google created a fake pizza brand to test out creative strategies for YouTube ads. And this came from uh, TechCrunch, Anthony Ha, and uh, had some pretty interesting findings. And I, the, what I, what I took away from it is that they created this fake business because no other business is willing to test these things because it could either fail, you spend money failing, or it hurts your brand, um, you know, reputation and stuff like that. So they created a fake, uh, a fake brand and, and did some different testing on YouTube. And, you know, some of the takeaways were food ads should include super close shots of the food to drive favorability. I mean, if it's a pizza ad and you're showing me the stringy cheese when you're pulling it apart from the rest the of the cheese pie. pole. You right. gotta have the cheese. You gotta pole. have the cheese pole. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I like pizza. Okay. I like cheese. Very insightful. Okay. Insightful. Thanks, guys. I mean, so <laughs> Google. Google is a great example of a company who has their A/B testing like down to a science. They are constantly testing stuff. They're constantly putting mm-hmm. their their hypothesis. The C's to, to work into to work. You know, they're, they're not just <laughs> they're they're not just you know blindly assuming that they're going to be right. They're testing it, and I just think that that's a this is a great example of that in action. I think they have the money to do it. That it would is be nice true. to make a company for the sake of testing. I'm sure they exist. Honestly, yeah, that's like the landscaping company you constantly dream about having. I would be the most successful <laughs> landscaper of all time. Okay. How's that mulching going? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we have? So that was on TechCrunch. Okay. Yep, TechCrunch. So what's um, going on with Google? A lot is going on with Google. Besides actually. pizza. Um, besides pizza, I so I uh, this week they had a couple of really interesting articles on their um, their marketing blog, and one of them, which this this is probably a bigger deal for agencies like us or for larger companies with a lot of uh, different properties and websites um, than, than for other businesses. But Google recently announced an auto verification. Um, so anytime that you take ownership of a Google Analytics um, 
property, you're moving forward, you're going to automatically be verified within that properties uh, for, 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 for Google, Google Search, Search Console, Console right. which is a huge deal for an agency like us who were constantly adding yeah. clients and getting access to analytics, but then realizing when you know the week later when you're starting to dig in, oh, we don't have access to what we need access to. So yeah. this is just going to make our lives a lot easier. I bet you, I, I didn't read the article, um, but I, I bet you the reason they did this is that I, you know, a lot of people know about Google Search Console, but I would say the vast majority of marketers don't know it exists. And it's such a powerful tool. Um, and, you know, it's good for you if you are a marketer or an SEO or a content creator, whatever you call yourself, uh, because it's giving you a direct view into what Google sees and the problems it's running into um, and how your content is performing in Google Search. And for most websites, Google Search is the primary source of traffic to their sites. So you want to have that visibility. You want to have that open door of communication with Google. Um, but most people, they either don't know they exist or they don't know how to go verifying it. So I think this will be huge. I think that'll be extremely, extremely helpful. Um, yeah. The people who, who aren't normally in it now that they have act, like just instantly have access to it, they're naturally going to be clicking around more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're what they'll start getting notifications saying, Hey, your entire website is blocked from Google scrollers. And then they're going to say, oh my God, I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> but now that'll happen because it'll be automatically verified. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Definitely. The other thing I saw this week on Google's blogs is related to um, voice search. And, you know, like um, over the past- we have, a, we have a three-year-old in the office here today. So if you hear random banging sounds or crying or- the movie Cars playing in the background, that's why. <laughs> either him or Tim. We're just or it really might sure. just be me. If there's crying, it's me. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I saw was related to uh, voice search, which as everyone knows, voice search has really taken off a lot in the last year or two at this point. Um, and, you know, if you go back to older episodes of the stack, you'll see, you can see Sean and I kind of hypothesizing, I keep going back to that word, about what that's, you know, the, the move to voice is going to mean for search and SEO in general. Um, and we, we had a lot of great thoughts. Well, so Google in, in this article by Scott Huffman actually is confirming some of those thoughts. They're, you know, they're presenting some of the data, some of the key takeaways that they've seen um, after rolling out the Google Home, just in terms of um, trends with search, uh, with voice search, in terms of, you know, how customer uh, consumers are interacting with the technology. And it's really, it's just nice, you know, they have the data and it's nice as marketers to see the data instead of just making assumptions. Yeah. Um, and two of their key takeaways that are important for us to know is um, voice search and voice in general is about action or tends to be about action. It's about um, either physically doing something like turning on the lights in a smart home or turning on some music. So <laughs> or it's about placing, you know, placing an order for something like you realize you're out of flour or you're out of. I don't know why I went to flower um, <laughs> or out of paper for the office. It's like, it's about accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, the second key takeaway is it tends, you know, voice is conversational. The people who are using voice search, they, they communicate with the search engine naturally. Yep. Um, and they expect the answer that comes back to them to be natural. And that's really important for content creators. It's another just big indicator that when you're writing your content, you need it to be, conversational and written for the the human being that's going to be consuming it, not for right. a search engine. This, um, makes sense. this is more of an observation and not that we talk about Apple a lot, but 
Um, my fiance has a Google Pixel and it has the Google Assistant. Mm -hmm. Google Assistant is so much more advanced than Siri. Yes. By far. Yeah. And, you know, another tech giant like Apple, like, what is the deal, man? <laughs> I, I don't know. What's I, the I deal, think, Apple? I think, you know, Apple is smart because, you know, they're in everybody's pockets. Right. You know, um, right. Google does not have a device in everybody's pockets yet. Um, even, you know, the Pixel or any kind of Android device, it just, you know, I, I don't know. I see conflicting data on this. And I'm not the expert on cell phone sales. But uh, <laughs> I, I like when I look at the charts of Android versus, uh, you know, iOS, it looks like there's just as many Android phones being sold. Mm. But then when I look at traffic, when I'm going through Google Analytics, yeah. it's like 10% of the total Or when traffic. you just walk around. Hey, man, yeah, hey, I don't everyone know. Everyone has I, an iPhone. Right. Um, Which so, is crazy. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Apple has the reach, but Google has the technology and the, the power of their and search and, behind it. And just, you know? yeah, just a lot more data. Oh, yeah. Know? The other the thing I'll mention about, like when you're thinking about how voice might play a role for your brand, um, there's a reason Google calls their their voice tool uh, Google Assistant. It's because they want it to be assistive technology. It should be assisting your your daily life as mm -hmm. you're going about right. your daily life. Right. So, you know, if you're a brand or, you know, whether you're B2C or B2B, think about those touch points um, in your customer's daily life where you could potentially step into their shoes, even if it's for a moment of time and simplify their lives. Those are going to be, that's going to be your opportunity to take advantage of these technologies. Absolutely. I think my son just locked himself in the back. No, I think he's just trying to, and he's exiting from a, that. You guys continue. He's exiting discuss. from a door that is not exitable. <laughs> um, but so that's, that's some really great news from Google just because it's always nice when Google gives us some insight um, to back up. Thanks what Google. We're assuming. Yeah. So thanks Google. Um, moving on to just some general SEO news, and this is, you know, it's not really anything actionable right Hi. now, but <laughs> this is our co-host, Brian. Brian. Uh, the, his name is Brian and he has a ball. That's our guest here. Um, <laughs> We're currently watching a bouncy ball getting kicked around the office, smashing into oh, walls I'm, and I'm defensively reaching for my coffee <laughs> yeah. to make sure it doesn't spill all over my laptop. Anyways, um, but so, so, so back to uh, <laughs> so over on search, which was search, search engine, engine journal. journal. There's an article by Matt Southern, um, and it's called "Google Tests New Design for Desktop Search Results," and it this this is very limited in its in its. Um, the, the spread so far, it seems to be kind of, you know, uh, if you're using like a, what's the Google device called? Um, the com their computer. Let's be more specific. Their, the computer, the Google computer. Um, the Google machine. <laughs> their, their work thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone knows what you're talking about. Um, if you're using, what's apparently if you're about? using Chrome on the Chromebook, geez, there we go. <laughs> if you're using uh, Google Chrome on the Chromebook, it, you have a higher chance of running into this, but Google is um, rolling out some new design features or testing some new design features in their desktop search. Um, the, <laughs> these include things like a, a rounded search bar, sticky navigation. Hmm. Um, so as you're oh. scrolling through the results, the search bar stays at the top. I really like that. Actually. It may, so it makes it much easier for someone to do a secondary search as they're, as they're scrolling through the first, um, the results from their first search. It, so, it, you know, I don't, we don't know yet if this is going to be something that Google rolls out, if it's just a, some AB testing, if it's, I, if it would have any impact. Really interesting, actually. I and wonder I know what kind it of impact is. that'll have on, um, you know, click through rates, what? 
or stickiness to content um, if you are on the bottom of the, the search results page. Like if that search bar is kind of following you down to the end. Well, it's also, I'm wondering too, like if they're testing out this sticky activity, there's probably a good chance that they'll add some, like maybe they'll make ads sticky. I mean, like there's all kinds of potential things, you know, maybe you can pay, maybe, maybe advertisers will be able to pay a little bit more to make their ads sticky. I, I don't know. Um, it's interesting to think about, but it may never ultimately become an issue because as we said earlier, Google tests a lot of stuff that just honestly, trying to get more money from the ads. We're on to you, Google. I'm the Google guy today, even though I yeah. can't uh, talk about Chromebook. So I have another Google related item, although it's not coming from Google. It's about how to get more value out of Google. This comes from zippy.com. It's written by Cyrus Shepard. He's um, a very bright guy in the, the world of SEO, uh, puts out a lot of great content. Um, so he publishes something, going to pay attention to it because I know it's coming from a reputable source. Um, and he published a article called 15 Site Architecture Tips for Performance SEO, a Mastered Guide. And uh, I'm a fan of Gothic. Let personally. me just start off by saying this kind of falls within the bucket of um, you know what we would describe as a pillar page. It has a nice little jump ahead navigation, and it mm. links to some very valuable resources. It does he not. actually describes that type of asset as a hub, which is just another word for describing the same kind of thing. But great article, definitely worth a read. And what it gets at is um, the role that site architecture, in other words, the way content and information is organized on a website, the impact that that has on your performance and search results and how it's one of the things that many SEOs, many websites, many marketers just totally neglect. Um, and the, the way to think about this is if you bury a very valuable piece of content 20 clicks deep, like you really have to go hunting for it, your users have to go hunting for it. First of all, it's not good for your users, but it also dramatically decreases the likelihood that Google or any other search engine is going to discover that content. So you want to make it easy for Google to crawl and get to the content that you want to rank. Um, so, like, I mean, generally, when when we create a like a really high value piece of content for a client or for ourselves, mm -hmm. like there are some certain best practices we tend to follow mm -hmm. in terms of how we where we place that. You know, yeah. Do you want to speak to that at all? Well, sure. Yeah. So, like, if if it is a truly important resource um, and it's something that appeals to all of your um, users and the majority of your users, it may make sense to link to that resource from say the homepage, which is going to be the most authoritative page on your website. That's going to pass the most link equity to other pages on your site. Um, so it may make sense to link to that content from the homepage. That's something the article speaks to. It may make sense to have that part of your main navigation, but you sure as heck don't want it, you know, five clicks deep. Yeah. He suggests a, a good rule of thumb of having all content three clicks away. Um, it's not always possible, especially if it's a very, very large website. But for 80% of the websites on the web, it, it absolutely is. Um, so you want to think about how that content's organized. But a lot of really good um, uh, actionable tips in this list, uh, things that you should go through and try on your own. Um, also talks about creating content silos. And that, you know... Don't mind the crashing business in the background. So, as I was saying... Um, <laughs> My son just knocked over a bunch of stuff in the office here. So we had to pause for a second and take care of that. Um, he mentions uh, that you want to create content silos. And that's very similar to what we talk about when we talk about topic clusters. Um, it's basically taking topically similar relevant 
uh, content and siloing it so it's it's interlinked and well structured, um, and that's going to help you establish topical authority. Um, it's going to create an easier path for a user to basically continue their journey and learn about whatever topic is they want to learn about. Definitely has some big SEO benefits. So that's a really fascinating idea and something that someone should pull together like a, a masterclass series on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Just what I think, you know. Um, so he actually has a, a good uh, illustration of this uh, to outline content silos. So at the, the home page, he's calling that a hub or a category page. Let's say that's about books. A subcategory of books might be science fiction. Another subcategory might be food. Within science fiction, you might have a, another subcategory for fantasy and another subcategory for hard science fiction. And when you get down to the post, the blog post or the product page, you know, all of the fantasy posts are categorized underneath the fantasy subcategory, which has its own subdirectory on your website. So everything's just neatly organized. You know, it's mm. like a file cabinet with good labels. And that most people don't bother to do, um, but it has huge, huge SEO benefits. So good article. Give it a read. Pretty cool. Now, in the world of Facebook and social, you know, chain shifting gears just a little bit here. Um, there's two articles that I thought were really interesting. The first one is actually an article by Devin Coldwey. Um, over. I wonder when people read my name, if they say it, Sean Henry. <laughs> I don't know. That's how you announce everybody's name. So I'm, Devin Coldwey, a little more natural. I don't know if that's better. Um, over on TechCrunch. Was taught, he was writing about um, the fact that Amazon has a program where they, um, they pay their employees, they pay, they pay a number of their employees to be sort of brand ambassadors on Twitter and social media, um, specifically selling the idea of why working for Amazon is so awesome. And it's just a great example of how companies should not use social media because it's creepy and cultish and just weird don't do this like I, what, you, what's an example that's that creeped you out um so i don't know about the people at amazon but i love working at pepperland marketing oh <laughs> so one of 10 bucks right there so someone someone uh had tweeted oh my god just pay your workers more at amazon <laughs> oh god. and in response shay and amazon fulfillment center ambassador responded with did you know that Amazon pays worker pays warehouse workers 30% more than other retailers? I feel proud to work for Amazon. They've taken good care of me. That just Much better fake. than some of my previous employers. Oh, okay. And it's just on and on like this. The, the, it's not authentic. It's yeah. not authentic at all. Yeah. And also the the a lot of the the um the accounts have like animals as their picture. It's almost like you you feel like it could be fake. Well, probably probably right? it's, it's it's just it's really strange. It's not at all how I would recommend here's my thing does amazon need it I, I don't well, know I mean, maybe i mean i guess you could make the argument for that any company needs it i'm sure but like well like they're, they're trying to manage their their publicity which is a sure. in general that's a smart thing to do like you want to be on top of publicity make sure that it's not like go, getting out of control but if it's not authentic the consumer knows and it's just not a good thing yeah i feel like it's worse to do it that way than not do it at all yes yeah 
And then just last thing to be aware of if you are using, um, currently using Facebook ads, Search Engine Journal put out an article on Wednesday about the fact that Facebook is actually going to be removing something like 5,000 different ad targeting options. Um, largely, there's not a full list of what these options are going to be yet, but it's largely expected that they'll be focused around things like ethnicity um, and religious preferences and things like that. The, the goal from Facebook's point of view is going to be to remove um, discriminatory ad possibilities. So, you know, if you're a landlord that's trying to dis- discriminate against certain people you don't want to rent to. Bonald Bump. <laughs> Bonald Bump, yes. Um, th- removing these ad targeting options definitely makes it harder for you to be discriminatory, which is great. That's great for the consumer, great for the, just in general, it's a good thing. But some companies who do make use of those targeting options for legitimate purposes are going to see their ad performance most likely be impacted slightly. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on this? Because I sure do. I, <laughs> I mean, I, f- I feel like it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think that it's important to obviously not discriminate against any kind of, you know, ethnicity, whatever. Um, but like Tim said, like there are definitely companies out there that, you know, definitely target certain, you know, groups. And uh, it, it's going to be harder for them to, to reach those people on Facebook, at least. So here's my two or three cents. Um Anytime you lose a powerful targeting capability or insight capability, that's a bummer. You know, I, I'm, I like leveraging data. I like being uh, very targeted when I'm setting up a campaign. Um, so it's always tough to see that stuff go away. Um, but I think that gives us a, uh, I don't know what the word is, like a, a lesson or something that we all need to, to learn and that you shouldn't be dependent on one particular tactic one platform, you know, one solution for, um, your, your marketing efforts. Mm. Um, well, it reminds me of what, 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 what do the, the people in the know call it the day the data died when <laughs> Google took away the, uh, keyword data. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great example. Um, you know, you, you can't be completely dependent on a, another platform, um, to deliver success. And, and that's largely why, I favor the the strategy of building up your um, your library of content, your organic reach. Um, so Google may very well go away one day, highly unlikely, right? But imagine if it did, right? Don't go Google. Um, <laughs> if, if search engines suddenly went away and you suddenly had no search engine traffic and Facebook didn't exist anymore, um, would you, how would you communicate with people? Smoke signal. <laughs> billboards well hopefully right hopefully you've been using these tools to build up a, a database of subscribers you know you've developed relationships with people who are going to follow you to wherever you need to go but you have their contact information so you can maintain that relationship um so a lot of uh i see a lot of um companies build up their entire audience say on a social platform you know they're obsessed with building their follower list but then if that were to dry up or suddenly you can't engage with those followers anymore you're screwed right um, so it's just another example of why you should be focusing on developing content and assets and a platform that you own and can control over the long run because it may go away. And again, there is no full list of what those ad options are that are going away. So it, it might not be as drastic as it sounds, but 5,000 is a pretty big number. So it's a, there's yeah. a good chance that 
there'll be a lot more of this, this kind of thing is, this is definitely a backlash to the whole Facebook data issue. The public backlash to, to how their data is being used is definitely feeding into it. I also saw this thing where they, you know, they were, they're going through and deleting, you know, hateful, uh, Facebook groups, you know, I mean, they're just, they're constantly trying, they're doing the same thing that Amazon was trying to do with the, you know, replying to the tweets about, about their pay or workers or anything like that. So it's all about keeping the image and Facebook probably needs it more than a lot of other companies at at this moment in time, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that was our last uh, newsworthy thing of the week, right? Um, Anything else, guys? No, I can't wait to go play uh, Magnet Tiles with the uh, <laughs> the three old in the office. <laughs> um, if you're if you're following along, we'd love to to hear from you. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. Subscribe, tell your friends. Otherwise, next week because Sean will be in Ireland, it'll just be me and Ryan. Uh, maybe we can get Kelsey to come back to the office and join. But that would be cool. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. tune in next week. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye.